Hello, it's 28th of January, and this is episode 15 of Scavengers Horde, a Star Wars podcast. I'm Rachel. And I'm Kirsty. We're here to deliver a regular rundown of Star Wars news, analysis, and commentary. We're focused on the sequel trilogy and the future of the saga. So, Kirsty, how's your week in Star Wars been? Oh, it's been really good because oh, nice. the this week's episode of Rebels was amazing. Oh, <laughs> good. Re- yeah, I was really happy with it. Um, yeah, it's it's my favorite episode of Rebels ever. So that's really good. Like, I know it was Sabine centric, and I'm guessing it just did her character real justice. As that it thing? did, and it um it really seems like they're gonna kind of spread this arc over several episodes, and it's gonna become quite pivotal to the plot. So super excited to see more about the links between Mandalore and the possible Rebel Alliance kind of, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't want to say too much because I know, <laughs> you, I know you don't watch Rebels, but I would actually recommend that you watch this episode. Okay, cool. It, Do you it think it really... works reasonably well as a standalone? Yeah, I would say so. I mean, you have a basic understanding of the characters, right? Yeah, I do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I would recommend it to our listeners as well because it has a lot of cool implications for future lore. Has, we don't know where they'll take it, but it's pretty exciting. So, yeah, I was very happy with that. What about you? Um, yeah, no, it's been an exciting week. Um, so obviously, we had the title, <laughs> which yes. we will talk about shortly. Um, and the other kind of like laughing, I guess, that I'd like to mention briefly is Adam Driver's Snickers commercial. There's an update, um, and basically, it sounds like it's going to be a weird one because they're doing it live mm-hmm. as it airs on Super Bowl. And they're also claiming that Adam plays a cowboy, and it's a very hungry cowboy. Um, so we were obviously speculating that he was going to be Kylo in the ad. And I've seen some people say, oh, there's no way that's happening now, because they've come out and said he's playing a cowboy. But I still think it's possible that he is going to like turn into Kylo when he's hungry. Because the whole premise of these adverts is that it's a regular person turning into someone else when they're hungry. And then they get a Snickers bar and they turn back to their normal self. Right. Didn't someone ask them if it was going to be Kylo in the commercial and they didn't, they declined to comment? Like they didn't, they said no comment? Yeah, they did. Which, as far as I'm concerned, that basically means, yeah, he is going to involve Kylo in some way. Yeah, because they could have just said no. <laughs> yeah. No, exactly. If he wasn't involved, they would have just denied it because what's the point in playing coy if. Like, you know for a fact that he's not in it. So, yeah, I've, I'm pretty sure he's in it. Like, and that's really cool because that'll be the first time we've seen Kylo since <sighs> Matt the Radar Technician. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Another like... iconic cultural moment. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Seriously, though, Matt the Radar Technician is, like, proper famous. It's really. Oh, yeah. I love that bit. <laughs> yeah. No, he's like a legend in his own right, which is really <laughs> awesome. <laughs> um. Right, before we get into news proper, I will just say a big thank you, as always, to everyone who's rated and reviewed us on iTunes. If you haven't yet, please do help us out and pop over there and just leave a few words and a star rating, because it means a lot to us and it really helps us get the word out there and get more listeners. Um, And we have questions at the end of the show. And if you have any questions for us, please do send them to scavengershorde at gmail.com. Right, and with that done, we can move on to news. And the big news, of course, is that Star Wars Episode Eight has a title. Yay! Teaser poster. <laughs> so, Kirsty, what do you think about The Last Jedi? I like it. Mm. Um, I like how straightforward it seems. 
Yes. So um, I I think it refers to Luke, but um, as with some of the other titles, I'm thinking of Return of the Jedi mostly, maybe the film will kind of play with that perception a little bit and there'll actually be multiple meanings or multiple interpretations. Mm. That'll be interesting to see. Yeah. No, that's my line of thinking, essentially, because like while it's a title that seems very clear from the outset, because even in the opening crawl to Force Awakens, there's a reference to The Last Jedi, Luke Skywalker. So that seems pretty clear cut as to who The Last Jedi of the Episode Eight title might be. But the exciting part is thinking, oh, but what if it means more than Luke? Does it mean multiple Jedi? Does it mean Rey, who's the successor to Luke, making her the last Jedi? Does it mean Luke dies? I have seen lots of panic about that. And it's really silly. It's like, guys, I don't think this means what you think it means. You don't need to be so frightened. (laughs) Yeah, I don't see that happening. Nah. Could be wrong. But um, yeah, after The Force Awakens... I just don't see them like episode seven is Han Solo dies, episode eight, Luke dies. Like I just don't see that happening. But yeah. Could be wrong. No, I think they're gonna value the remaining stars that they have now. They know what yeah. big deal Luke Skywalker in particular is. Yeah. So I don't see them just like offing him. Especially because like you say, it takes them away, I think, from the death of Han. If you right. want to just go off and kill Luke in episode eight. It's like so is it an original trilogy death per movie is that just the model we're following yeah <laughs> so it would just be too rote and expected i think in that way like, it's natural for people to worry though because they love luke and you know it's just people read into it a lot and because yeah. it's like the only scrap of eight information we have right now yeah no you really do get the sense of how thirsty people are for news yeah um when you see the reaction to this because it's ridiculous all the clickbait YouTube videos that have gone up since this news came out. So you can just tell people, like, feasting upon it. It's like, finally, something from Star Wars Episode Eight. Finally. Yeah, it's something that it doesn't... It's not, like, a huge spoiler, you yeah. know? Like, uh, The Force Awakens as well. That wasn't, like, oh, my God, now we know what the story's going to be. <laughs> yeah. Because um, we already knew that it was going to focus on Luke and what he's been up to for the last 30 years, so... Yeah. It's kind it's- of a nice confirmation of that, but... Exactly. It's not a big revelation in that respect. Yeah, I've seen some people express concern that if it's about Luke, that potentially takes away the story from Rey. But Mm -hmm. a title is just a title. Like, you can delve into Luke's story without taking that emphasis away from the main character, I think. Yeah. And I also think it could potentially have implications for Rey. Because it might mean if Luke's the last Jedi, well, does that mean Rey doesn't become a Jedi herself? Does it mean she decides she doesn't want to or gives up on the training? Like, And in, in that case, does it mean that there's going to be something else to come, like a different kind of Force user right. in the future? Because there's been lots of hints at that. Like Daisy herself has said she's not sure she's going to be a Jedi in Episode 8. So they're already sowing the seeds of doubt about that question. So I definitely think that's a legitimate interpretation of what they might be going for. Yeah, we've been kind of speculating on, about that for a while now, right? Like that they're mm. going to expand the concept of Force users beyond just Jedi and Sith. So I, th- I think to an extent that has to happen at some point so that they can actually keep moving forward with these stories indefinitely without it getting stale. Yeah. So obviously we had the the prequels were heavy with that idea of the Jedi and the Jedi Council and that being ingrained in society. But I, 
I don't see how they would go back to that without kind of negating that story because mm. to an extent it was about um, how flawed and they'd lo- kind of lost their way and that paved the way for their downfall. Mm. So guess we'll see. Yeah, there's lots of possibilities opening up there. Yeah, because it's interesting to think about what kind of Jedi Luke is going to be, right? Mm. Yeah, we have our spotlight on jet on, on Luke coming later, so <laughs> yes, probably save that for that. That'd but. be a fruitful area of discussion. Um, yeah. Um, with this news, do you think it has any implications for a trailer? Like, do you think them releasing the title at this stage means there might be a trailer to follow soon? Like, obviously, I know that's in large part wishful thinking, but do you reckon there's now more chance of getting a trailer before celebration, for example? I don't know. I think we might get something because mm. then they would do like a bigger trailer at celebration for people who because it's like a big occasion, right? Yeah. You want to see you want to see more than like a 30 second teaser. Yes. Cuz it's cuz it's this year's film. Mm. Um but I don't know when they would do it cuz we were thinking kind of that they would have something for the Super Bowl, but that's also a ridiculously expensive time to advertise. Yeah. And they don't need to do that for Star Wars. It's already <laughs> going to be insanely popular. Yeah. So you were hinting, like you you were maybe thinking that it was um, going to be with the Beauty and the Beast film, right? Yeah, and and, yeah. and I still think that. Like I was hoping against hope for the Super Bowl, but I'm trying to be a realist and thinking that it's probably not going to happen now because, like you say, it's so absurdly expensive. You're talking millions of dollars just for thirty seconds, mm. and Disney just do not need to spend that money. It would be ridiculously excessive on their part because they do not need to maximize their ad campaign for that film in particular they're going to be focusing on the new Pirates of the Caribbean film the stuff that actually needs to get eyes on it because it's going to be out quite soon and many people just don't care (laughs) because people automatically care about Star Wars you don't need to make them care as soon as you put out anything people are going to be jumping on it and going oh my god oh my god Star Wars exactly like they must have moved all of the marketing around once they delayed the film yeah you know so if we were having something in may then it'd be much more likely to have something at the super bowl but Mm. that's not what's happening so it's still quite a way out yeah i was thinking like another reason why it would be a good move for them to get the trailer in front of beauty and the beast is also because that film is going to have a large appeal to women Mm. in particular there's going to be lots and lots of young women and girls going to that film and despite Kathleen Kennedy's sterling efforts and they're obviously paying off because there are many more female stars fans than there used to be and I like to think we're getting more outspoken but like you still don't traditionally think of the main audience for Star Wars being young women and girls right so I think it would be very smart from a business perspective to put a trailer for episode 8 in front of Beauty and the Beast and say, hey, look, everyone, we know you might normally want, not normally be interested in Star Wars, but doesn't it look awesome while you're here to see Beauty and the Beast? Because you're always going to be here to see Beauty and the Beast. Right. So, yeah. <laughs> if, I, if, that's, that. if that's the case, then it probably would have an emphasis on Rey, mm. you know, because she's been a huge part of why more female fans have been attracted to it in the first place. Yeah. Um, because they identify with her and love her story. So I can see that happening if if they decide to go with that kind of promotion. Yeah. And I was also thinking, um, isn't Rebels on a hiatus for a few weeks? Yes, now? it is. Yeah. Like, We've been left <laughs> wanting more of that arc. <laughs> like, which is a shame in a way because it sounds like you had such an amazing episode and now all you want is to get more amazingness. But yeah. I suppose absence makes the heart grow fonder. But yeah, I was thinking, don't 
Rebels, they have breaks when there's other big Star Wars things going on, don't they? Quite often. Because, like, wasn't there a break when Rogue One came out as well for Rebels? Yeah, I suppose. Yeah, so I do wonder if they're leaving a bit of a window for Episode Eight excitement before resuming Rebels again. Um, Maybe. But yeah, this is just my mind working overtime. Anyone <laughs> anyone listening to this can just tell from the way I'm talking about it and trying to rationalise it fibre in my being that I really, really want a trailer, okay? Yeah. we. <laughs> I'm just hoping for anything, but um, not getting my hopes up for the Super Bowl because it, it almost seems too soon. Like, it's great to have the title, um, but we are still a way out and they're probably going to want to save all the good stuff for celebration, so. Mm. Yeah. No, that makes sense, but it's sad because I won't be there. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, sorry, I need to stop whinging about that. <laughs> You'll see all the stuff. I know, I know, I know. Don't worry, I'll be plugged into the live stream. <laughs> I'll be like Professor X. Like, I'll become like a virtual being. Um, <laughs> right, have we said all we want to say about The Last Jedi? Um, I think so. What did you think about the the poster? I know lots of people have been oh, theorising yeah. on what it could mean to have the colour red instead of yellow. Yeah, um, <laughs> like it's very nice. It's just the word Star Wars The Last Jedi. Uh, I think maybe with the exciting edition of December 2017. So <laughs> it's not the most enlightening thing in the world. But it is really cool to just have a poster and know that will be going up in cinemas soon. I think yeah. I'll have a freak out when I see it in my local cinema. It'll be like, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. <laughs> I've seen people saying that they think it, it's red because it's going to focus more on the dark side or like Ray could go dark or mm. it's going to... I I don't think that that's the case. I think it's just a way to distinguish it from The Force Awakens because people are so used to seeing the yellow mm. that they almost don't notice it anymore. Yeah. So this is kind of a way to grab people's attentions and it's definitely worked. Yeah, no, I think it's a marketing move more than anything else. And I think even Ryan Johnson tweeted something to the effect of don't read too much into it. Like, it's just marketing. Right. Yeah. So, like, although it would be cool to think that, oh, like, it has foreboding implications. But, yeah, you can, like, reap story implications from a colour, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that plays into people's, or like, that or that existing bias of the second film being darker. Like based, based on Empire. Yeah. Um. So I I think we said before like there are elements of the Force Awakens that are really pretty dark. Mm. So like, yes, they might get darker, but I don't see that necessarily being revealed by the color of a a poster. Yeah, and that's actually really funny. So we rewatched Empire to um this afternoon in preparation for the Spotlight, and like it struck me that it's not actually as dark as its reputation would suggest. Yeah, I agree. It's actually quite like a light and just lovely romantic film in many ways i was just watching it and thinking what a lovely adventure this is it's such a great charming film like it wasn't like oh with the misery of my dark despair (laughs) i guess it's like the horror of his hand being cut off by his father as he tells him who he is yeah oh absolutely it has dark moments that's a very like dark and intense moment I think just overall as a film, it's definitely not as dark as its reputation would suggest. Yeah, I I never really understood that because the Han and Leia story especially is it's not dark at all. Like I think it's pretty lovely. Yeah, I guess you could say it's dark when... Oh, I guess at the end. Like, yeah, when Han's frozen in carbonite and stuff. But 
besides that, yeah, it's just an adventure of escaping those dastardly Imperials. Mm. It's got to be left on a cliffhanger of some kind, I guess. So yeah, I was like, I don't know if I've made this up in my head, but was there a concern that Harrison Ford might not come back for Return of the Jedi? So they kind of wanted to leave it as like, oh, he could die. I think that might be the case. I- I'm not 100% sure, though. I'm not so like well-versed in the behind-the-scenes stuff so I used to be. Mm. Um, I need to reread like the secret history of Star Wars and stuff. Yeah, that's because he's obviously spoken quite a lot about um, not loving the idea that Han just lived through everything. So... Mm. Yeah, and makes sense. I think we all know Harrison. He's just the kind of character where he's a bit like, oh, stupid space films. I did wrong. He was lovely in Force Awakens when he came back into that and he gave it everything. He was so enthusiastic and great in the role. It was marvellous. But you can tell for the most part, like Harrison's just like a, a bit beyond it, kind of. I think he wants to be doing different kinds of things, which is natural. I think most actors feel that way. Yeah, I think he felt that Han's arc was kind of covered by the first film and definitely the first two, so... Which is fair enough. Um, right, are we now done with Last Jedi? Yeah. Cool. Then the next story <laughs> is that there was um, a photograph on Instagram of a Hallmark ornament um, <laughs> showing Ray, <laughs> and this image was extremely low quality, and when you zoomed in just to look at the ornament of Ray, it was even worse quality. It was maybe about 20 pixels by 20 pixels. So it was barely perceivable. Yeah, <laughs> I really enjoyed all of the analysis of these pictures because I couldn't even see anything. <laughs> it's funny you should say that because here I have the original analysis from <laughs> Star Wars. Okay. okay. <clears throat> She's wearing a black sleeveless outfit, a belt, some type of pack on her lower left leg and boots. Her hair also looks to be down rather than the free buns design we are used to seeing. This leads me to believe this is our first look at Rey in Star Wars Episode Eight. So, <laughs> could you glean anything from well, this image or the, so the um, company <laughs> article from Making Star Wars? The image was ridiculously blurry, as I said, mm-hmm. but they're talking about her hair looking like it was down. I thought that was the collar on her top. Yeah, that was what I thought. Yeah. Um, we've heard rumours that her hair might be down, but nothing confirmed. Mm. Um, so it's re- like you're really grasping at straws trying to analyse this picture because it is the blurriest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, uh, there's really not much in the way of detail. Um, I kind of bring up mainly but for two reasons. First of all, af- like a few days after it went up, like takedown notices were issued. And Mm. that basically means someone from Disney emailing people and saying, take this down or suffer the consequences. Um, So yeah, it was swiftly removed from the internet as much as possible. So obviously nothing ever completely leaves the internet, especially when it's been left unattended to for several days as this was. Um, Yeah, I heard a rumour that they were thinking that the title could have been leaked at a toy fair recently. Yeah. um, So that they, they rushed to kind of release that. But it's just this kind of reality that the more people know, and we we've known from interviews in the past with people like Hasbro, that the the companies and the people who work there do, they are like familiar with plot points in the story because they have to design toys. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, it's just going to become part of it that the more people are included in that, the more likely stuff's going to leak. Yeah, I think that was the main impetus for the title being released when it was. 
like you say, it was because they were going to have a big marketing meeting and saying, this is our film and this is all the beautiful things people are going to be able to buy. Yay! Mm. And I kind of wonder if they saw that this image of the Hallmark ornament got out and it spooked them. And like, look guys, we don't release this now. It's going to get released for us. So let's take control and release this ourselves. Yeah, I suppose it's a slight spoiler that she's still carrying the blue saber as opposed Mm. to like, we know now that it based on that, it doesn't look like she gives it back to Luke and he accepts it. Right. Yeah. That she's she's still using it as her weapon. Yes. So whether that means that he has the green saber or he's not using one at all anymore, we don't know, but mm. yeah, it's something. Yeah. No, that's a good observation. Um I, I like the pose. <laughs> the pose is quite badass. Um yeah. but yeah, it's just the kind of thing where it's hard to talk about. Oh, and the other thing was I think the person who posted it on Instagram originally, they said that the figure comes out in August or maybe July. It was sometime in the summer, okay. which surprised me. So I'd have thought we wouldn't get anything until like Force Friday, so in the autumn. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like I'm totally on board for that. If we're getting merchandise early, <laughs> oh yeah, I will be buying all of it. <laughs> I will not have any self control. <laughs> oh, we're such slaves of capitalism. It's really funny. <laughs> yeah, I'm and I'm not for anything else, but Star Wars somehow gets me because it, it is kind of like the the leader of tie-in merchandise right like it was from the very beginning yeah so it's just kind of part of being a fan yeah no the merchandise is a huge element of star wars for many people their first memory of star wars is the toys rather than the films yeah which says everything (laughs) um right have we said everything about extremely blurry (laughs) ornament i have yeah so have i um right and then the final news story this time is that Ryan Johnson has talked to Empire Magazine about The Last Jedi. Sorry, I don't know why I did that in that stupid voice. Um, <laughs> right, okay, so. <clears throat> How are things going on episode eight? Great! We're in the thick of editing, really digging into it. It's taken shape, and I'm very excited. Name three non-Star Wars films you watched in preparation. Twelve O'Clock High was a big touchstone for the feel and look of the aerial combat, as well as the dynamic between the pilots. Free Outlaw Samurai for the feel of the sword fighting and the general sense of pulpy fun. And Catch a Thief was a great film to rewatch for the romantic scale and grandeur. What are your memories of the first day of shooting? Our first day of shooting was actually several months before principal photography began. We had three days on Skellig Michael Island. So not only was it day one of Star Wars on this incredible natural location, but because the island was so inaccessible, it was a very stripped-down, run-and-gun crew. Pretty much the perfect start to the whole adventure. What was the hardest thing about writing Star Wars dialogue? I found myself constantly wanting to push modern idioms into the dialogue. And sometimes that can work, but you have to be very careful. If you go too far, you can break that Star Wars spell. The other challenge is the tech talk, which has to be simultaneously complex enough to sound real and conceptually simple enough to follow. The original films were brilliant at that. What surprised you most about directing a Star Wars film? I guess the biggest surprise is the intimacy of the process. It's huge, sure, and it's filled of pressures great and small. But at the end of the day, it boils down to the same things as the smaller films we've made. Telling the story we care about with a camera and some actors and a Wookiee. <laughs> um, what struck you about this interview, Kirsty? Were there any particular points that you thought, ooh, that's interesting? Um, I did think it was interesting that he mentioned to catch a thief mm-hmm. 
because um, he's mentioned the other two films here before, but that one is new to me. Mm-hmm. Have, have, did you say that you'd seen that somewhere else? I'd seen him mention it somewhere. I, I can't tell you where, though. Like, maybe on Twitter. So I know on Twitter, Ryan said that he'd been inspired by Raiders of the Lost oh, okay, Ark. Yeah. Um, so it might have been on there, but I'm not 100% mm. sure. Yeah, I I think that's an interesting mm. example. And it seems to me like it would fit more in with Finn and Kelly Marie Tran's side of the story. Like, ha- have you seen the film? Yes. Mm. Yeah, I'm a big Hitchcock want, fan. So. Do you want to, like, describe it to offer people a bit of a reference point for, like, what that is? Um, well, wasn't there a bit in this article that was, I don't know if it was here or it was somewhere else that I read, like, someone had written kind of a summary of it but Mm -hmm. it's it's kind of about well if I'm talking about like the romantic scale and grandeur like this idea of an opulent society that then you have this like seedy underbelly and you have characters that come together and shouldn't necessarily be working together like there's lots of kind of duplicity and kind of people hiding things about themselves and then it's just Mm. kind of a kind of that heist feel yeah no definitely it has um Grace Kelly and Carrie Grant. Yes, who are just right? fantastic. Yes, and I mean you can imagine if you haven't watched it, I recommend that you do. Mm. Um, I just love all of those Hitchcock films anyway. Um, yeah, so but... I I had watched it, but then when I really thought about it, I I remembered I was thinking of um Rear Window. Oh well, that's a great film too. Yeah, no, so I've seen loads of Hitchcock, <laughs> but just for some reason, like I have some blind spots in the films I've seen from him. So yeah, yeah I need to go and watch it because. Any excuse to watch Hitchcock is a great excuse. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to go into it too much because I have a feeling that people are going to go and watch it now. Yes. Um, but it it does seem to me like what we've been seeing from the Dubrovnik side of things. Mm. Yeah, uh, so I actually watched the trailer. Like, is my like pitiful preparation in terms of to catch a tra- um to catch a thief, and I saw that it looks like they filmed on the French Riviera. Right. I think in the coastline, it looks so similar to the coastline in Dubrovnik. It's quite uncanny. Yeah, I feel like it could have implications for Finn and Kelly Marie Tran's characters' dynamic. Yeah. Like that, kind of, that back and forth. Yeah. And not really sure, sure where you stand with someone. Mm. So that could yeah. be lots of fun. And like, just very quickly to veer into what might be considered mild spoiler territory. So yeah, skip ahead if you're afraid. Um, I remember some kind of report from Making Star Wars about Kenny Retran's character having like a medallion or a medal. Mm. Um, And in the set photos from Dubrovnik, there's an alien with like this ghastly smile um, across his face. And he has like a huge 70s style medallion on his chest. Right. I do kind of wonder if that is perhaps the same thing and they have to steal it for some reason. Yeah, I was was wondering that kind of thing as well because... It it just seems like if you have this place that it's like a common trope, right? You have this very opulent society where everyone's dressed in lovely clothes and obviously very rich and and then people come in and it upsets the balance somehow, right? There's this real contrast. Mm. We've talked before about the contrast that there would be between the resistance and someone like Laura Dern's character potentially. Yes. So it just it just seems ripe for generating that conflict. Mm. No, absolutely. It's a very interesting touchstone. I love all the films Ryan's been name-checking, just because they're so interesting and they seem so unexpected. I haven't seen 12 O'Clock High yet. No, nor have I. I really want to. I I watched all the ones that... (laughs) This is going to be really bad. I watched all the non-military ones. (laughs) Because, like, 
I think for me, like war films, it just reminds me of long, boring afternoons at my grandparents' house, <laughs> having to watch things that my granddad wanted to watch. Right. And that often tended to be war films. <laughs> and I know it sounds really bad, but it just means they have these very like dry, stuffy connotations for me that mm. mean I'm less yay about going out to watch them than I am, like say, less than ever sent, which I loved. Um, but yeah, I need to shake that off because I know war films can be amazing. I know that are excellent war films. And many of the ones I was forced to watch at my granddad's house when I was eight are probably excellent films. They're just not excellent films when you're a child and you want to watch Harry Potter. (laughs) Right. I I think it's interesting that Ryan's being quite forthcoming with these influences, but I wouldn't recommend that people watch them just for kind of seeing what's going to be factoring in for episode eight, because it could be very minute stuff that he's taking. Yeah. Um, So it's just, great to experience new films from all these different genres like that's just an interesting film education but there's no obligation to watch all those films that don't catch your interest yeah so i have seen some people kind of like behave as if ryan is just going to be wholesale lifting plot points from these films (laughs) yeah um for episode eight and while that's certainly possible i don't think it's particularly likely um it's going to be more things like the scope of things the feel of things the composition of certain shots those kind of things that that's going to be the core of the influence that he's talking about um so yeah i wouldn't place too much stock in like all of these themes and stuff and i think oh because this character is kidnapped in x film that means there's going to be a kidnap in episode eight um yeah i don't think you can view it in such a clear-cut way if that makes sense yeah i think it's just nice to kind of get that confirmation that he's looking at films outside of the star wars canon Mm. Um, it's a good reminder of you know George Lucas initially had these huge influences, but um, he's it's it's good in my opinion that Ryan isn't just looking at the Star Wars story itself. It's like how can I kind of bring it to this idea of universal storytelling? Yeah. You know? But yes, it's set in space, but that's not the be all and end all. Mm. So. Exactly. It's ultimately about people. And all these films are about people. So, yeah, it's going to be exciting. Um, I also, I liked the bit about the Star Wars dialogue. Because um, <laughs> I was kind of thinking, Ryan, were you going like, to have them talk in like, modern young people slang? <laughs> so it's going to be like, hey, how's it hanging, Luke? You good? You good like up there on your rock? Yeah, you're chilling. Chilling, man. Uh, <laughs> I sometimes I- find this kind of analysis a bit odd because there are parts in Star Wars where the they do say things like Han says, I'll see you in hell. <laughs> yes. It's like, did. okay, so Star Wars universe has a concept of hell. <laughs> yeah. I think there has to be like a fine balance. Like, I think it's fine to use some slang and like idioms that we're familiar with on Earth because I think a big part of the appeal of Star Wars is how oddly grounded it feels, despite being so fantastical. You feel like these are regular people that you could know. And that helps you to like and identify with them. Um, but yeah, at the same time, I guess you need to limit it. <laughs> so it doesn't go too far beyond see you in hell. <laughs> um, yeah, and he's right about the tech talk. Like, it has to be just enough that people understand what's going on, but that it sounds like impressive and Star Warsy. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. absolutely. So I was watching Empire 
as I mentioned earlier. And it, it did impress me, like how well it did that, because there's all these references to different systems and like different elements of the ship and like all this kind of nonsense I normally couldn't care less about. But it's all very clear and like elegantly written, so you always understand what's going on, even when they're using this like nonsensical terminology. So yeah, it's good that he's conscious of that. Yeah, you can imagine that's the kind of thing that they consult people like Pablo Hidalgo on mm. to make sure, because that's not something that, even if you're a fan, you don't know all the details. And well, some people Pablo. do, but... Well, yeah, that's the thing. Like <laughs> For some people, that's their main interest in Star Wars. Mm. Um, but I doubt it is for someone like Ryan Johnson yeah. being a director. It's probably much more about the overarching story, and then you need to go and ask people, can you please help me with this and make sure it makes sense and jives <laughs> with what's already out there. Yeah. So, because inevitably you would get pedants going, oh wait, no, that's not what, <laughs> that's not the same as the ship featured in blah blah. Yeah, exactly. It's like that's <laughs> not a compressor. <laughs> I wouldn't have a clue. They could say anything, and I'd be like, uh huh, yeah, yeah, exactly. I'd be like the dumb, dumb blonde in that room. I'd be like, oh yeah, that's nice. <laughs> <laughs> um, right. Are we all done with news? I think so. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah, and it's strange. Like obviously the news about the last jedi was huge but besides that it has been pretty quiet like i noticed some stuff about um rogue one books but um like did you want to say anything about them quickly oh yeah there's going to be two books coming out i can't remember the release dates but it's pretty soon and it's the young adult one about Jin in her teenage years with saw guerrera Mm-hmm. and one by Greg Rucker about Chirrut and Baze as the Guardians of the Wills, mm. which I'm more excited about because I'm really into learning more about the Wills and that lore and what potential implications it could have on the sequel trilogy, if any at all. So yeah. I'll definitely be reading that one. I'm not sure about the Jin one yet. Mm. Like I've, I think I can definitely understand that. I think it'd be interesting to actually get a sense for what the Guardian of the Wills did before like the Temple of the Wills like went kaboom <laughs> yeah there's so little in rogue one so mm, yeah. yeah no it'd be good to get background on that yeah and i really like those characters so yeah be good to get a little more of their dynamic because they're just they're really great together yeah no as you can tell like even from the little we get in rogue one that they have a long history together and yeah. that they really care about each other so i think that's a good story to tell about how those characters became so close yeah um right then to move on for our spotlight, we are going to be talking about Luke, because there is reason to believe he is the last Jedi of the title <laughs> of episode 8, so we thought it would be appropriate to have a little run-through of him and our feelings on him. So, yeah, like Kirsty, just generally, what's your opinion of Luke as a character? Like, is he a character you particularly like? Is he a bit blah to you? Like, what's your um... opinion? Yes to both of those. I do I do like him. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I like him this is gonna sound strange. I like him more as a character within the narrative of his own journey as opposed to like particular personality traits that he has. Mm. Um I think he's quite the everyman. So yeah. that could be great in terms of so many people identifying with him and that's quite important if you look at his journey as a, a kind of a blueprint for the monomyth because it really is right. Like Joseph Campbell has spoken like really highly of what George Lucas did with the original trilogy in terms of creating this mythology around Luke and his story with Vader. Mm. Um, but if I drill down into terms of his own personality traits, I oh, I like him, um, mm. but he's not my favorite of the original 
trio. Yeah, no, I totally get that. I think Luke's defining personality trait is his goodness. Yeah. Like, he's a very, very good boy. He's very admirable. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I'm kind of more into anti-heroes in general, so that's why Han's my favourite. Yeah, sure. Like, no, that makes a lot of sense, because like, Luke's the kind of character where he very rarely does things wrong. He's not perfect. He has flaws. But he pretty much always makes the right choices. And... Yeah, like he's certainly no scoundrel like Han is. There's very little morally grey to him. Um, although they do tease, play with that a little in Return of the Jedi, which is cool. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think he's like an interesting character as much for like his symbolic power and like how archetypal he is as like who he is as an individual. And that's part of why I'm so excited to see what they do with Luke in the sequel trilogy. Because I really think that's probably going to be where we start to see the man behind the myth. Right. Because the original trilogy, Luke, is very much like you're reading an ancient legend. And you're reading like all the great deeds of this amazing mythical hero who like did almost nothing wrong. He was tested, but he came through all the tests with like flying colours and like was this shining beacon of light for everything. Whereas, obviously, everything's gone tits up <laughs> in the <laughs> sequel trilogy. So I think we're really going to see like a different perspective on him. And that'll be yeah. really cool. Yeah, his story is really, really powerful. Like, mm. I was re-watching some scenes from Return of the Jedi. Yeah. And his scenes with Vader are just so emotional. Yeah. But it's it's all done in very broad strokes. And it all happens very quickly. So it's more like about them as symbols as opposed to like a realistic look if you see what i mean yeah um but i don't think that detracts from their power i think that makes it more powerful because it just means that it's universally meaningful to so many people so Mm. yeah no it's very much about this like mythic quality i think the cambellian monomyth which obviously george lucas like based the whole original trilogy off like, and while that's great for creating a powerful story, it's not so great for like character nuance and like creating like a psychological profile of someone because that's not what myths are about. Yeah, you definitely see development, and we're going to talk about this if we go through the, the each of the original films. But um, there's nothing hugely unexpected. Mm. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll get into it. But there there are some ways he's subversive as a male hero in kind of a masculine society, which probably was actually quite. Uh, notable in the 70s Mm. but it's almost we're kind of looking at it from a different angle Um, we're kind of looking back Mm. and because it's paved the way for that idea in popular culture so much um, it just seems to make sense yeah like yeah you do kind of take it for granted at this stage because it is just so firmly embedded in our culture Mm. Um, but yeah that's probably a good point to go right back to the beginning and start with a new hope so where it all begins for luke um we're gonna do this like presuming all the knowledge of things that happened in the prequel trilogy as well because obviously while they were made later in terms of the story they form the background to that character in terms of who his parents were and so on and so forth um so yeah luke and leia obviously born to senator padme amidala who promptly dies and (laughs) Luke shipped off to Owen and Beru Lars on Tatooine, where he's raised in what appears to be significant boredom, but safety and comfort, like on their homestead. Mm-hmm. Um, 
so yeah like when you first meet Luke he just seems to be a bit of like a bratty teenager I guess he's like oh, I don't want to stay for another season <laughs> and his like complaints and like issues of his life they just seem so trivial and ridiculous that is just absurd especially when you can trust him to Ray who's like literally like surviving off like vacuum packed portions and has like no love and like no one to look out for her and is completely alone yeah like when you contrast those characters you really realize like that Luke actually had like a pretty decent life like mm. not amazing he obviously wasn't like raised prince like Leia was raised a princess um but it was a perfectly fine life and he had security and love um yeah like what do you make of the introduction that Luke gets Kirsty do you do you find him quite bratty in those um, I I do laugh at him kind of whining about everything but it's it's it feels ridiculous but also very relatable because for those of us who are from kind of small towns where nothing interesting happens yeah it's that classic like wanting to go off and be part of something bigger and make something of yourself yeah so many people can relate to that idea right that there has to be something more out there yes so he's like looking off at the sunsets and just dreaming of something bigger Mm. um so yeah what do you think about it um yeah no like like you say I, I can definitely empathize with that like just from my circumstances because I, I did grow up in a very small and very boring town um, so like when I saw Luke whining and complaining about his life which are both things I apparently did a lot when I was a child <laughs> <laughs> um, I could be like yeah I'm right in there with you man like, I get this it sucks doesn't it like now yeah. I'm older myself and I have more perspective on things it does just make me roll my eyes more but like you say, it is realistic and that is what teenagers do because yeah, it's think... natural to want more from your life. Like even when it's like satisfactory, you don't want satisfactory, you want great. <laughs> right. I do think they intentionally juxtaposed Ray's circumstances with his though. Yeah. Like, I think we are supposed to see the difference that he was, yes, bored out of his brains, but safe and mm. had support from parental figures, whereas Ray is really fighting for her life every day. Yes. And completely alone. So mm. don't think that's by accident. Yeah. No, definitely. And, and I think that's one of the main things that frustrates me when people talk about Force Awakens just as a retread of A New Hope. Because, yeah, there are obvious similarities and parallels. But I think sometimes those parallels exist so that we can see the difference between things so yes Mm -hmm. both films start out on a sand planet with like a young dreamer who wants more from their life but when you really drill it down you realize how different those characters are and how different their experiences are and like that's the point like i think that's what we're meant to be noticing yeah i think um luke's motives are very external like he has family there but he wants to go off and do something else whereas ray's always the inverse right like that she is dreaming of something but mm. it's about being reunited with her family because that's what's important to her internally. Yes. So I think that might have implications for her journey. Like she's going to be on more of an internal heroine's journey as opposed to one that you could, I've said last week, like Luke and Finn seem more similar to me. Yeah. So I guess we'll see. Yeah, that's a good point. Like I think that awesome, that in itself, it underlines how the sequel trilogy is more interested in psychology than like the original trilogy is because like you say with Ray, it's very internal it's what's inside her whereas like Luke is very much 
like about he will state explicitly what he wants. He wants to go off and join the academy to be with his friends. And that's fine and great. But like it is very on the nose. Whereas with Ray, like you know what she wants is to be reunited with her family. But she doesn't explicitly say, I want to be reunited with my family. We know she's waiting for them. Like, but the main way in which that's conveyed to us is like subtly just by seeing what her life is like. And like through her dialogue with the other characters, so yeah, mm. it's interesting. Yeah, um, the idea of Luke wanting to go off to the Imperial Academy—you kind of see that theme run with. Uh, did you read Lost Stars? Oh, no, I still haven't finished it. Like it was, okay. it's really good. I just need to pick it up again. I know what the premise is though, so yeah, right. So yeah, the characters in that Sienna and Thane. There's that notion that they they want to join the empire for a chance at a better life and to make something of themselves as well mm. um, and it's very interesting because you have luke who's an undisputed good guy who wants the same thing um sienna and thane are the heroes of that story but there's the, the morality is a bit grayer and it's explored in more detail yeah so yeah there's this idea that like young people didn't necessarily have the best understanding and context for what the empire stood for and they saw it as a path to better opportunity Mm. Um, but it's only really when Luke gets swept up away from it that he starts to understand what's going on yeah which I really like I think that adds some real like realism to it Mm -hmm. because you do see that and like people aren't always completely conscious of how sinister the like mechanisms operating around them are yeah for sure yeah and yeah I think that's nice like it underlines that Luke's naive, but it doesn't make him look stupid, because we have lots of uh, like examples from real history of stuff like that happening. Yeah, he, you know, he's grown up in this quite isolated, sheltered background. Um, you can see like he, Owen's talking to him and kind of intentionally, uh, not misleading, I suppose, but kind of avoiding the the difficult topics of who his father was and mm. who Obi Wan is, like. There's stuff they don't want Luke to know. They want him to stay there and contribute on the farm. Mm. So this idea that Luke has to go off and uncover the truth for himself and find his own path. Mm. And it's amazing how well, in, in retrospect, that works with the whole Vader reveal. Oh, yeah. Because, of course, like Owen wouldn't want Luke to go off and join the Imperial Academy. Because if he does, then he's like going right into um, the thick of it. And he's probably going to be found out. And that's going to have meant it was all for nothing like the whole raising him in secret because then he'd probably be there and then the pass and out ceremony Vader would probably be the one handing other medals and <laughs> he'd be like wait a minute <laughs> we've said before that that stuff fits really well right like yeah. we know that it was a retcon but that, that stuff was written almost seamlessly yeah um the luke and leia stuff obviously not so much <laughs> oh when i was watching empire when um like Leia just gives him a big old snog in front of Han. I was like, no. Yeah, C three PO's just there in the background, like, what? <laughs> Should I tell them? <laughs> um, there's a um channel I think like Bad Lip Reading or something, and they do these most amazing like music videos to clips from Star Wars, and they've done like loads of one like riffs on the fact that like Luke and Leia are constantly like kissing and making romantic overtures to each other despite being brother and sister. <laughs> it's so funny. Have you read that um Alan Dean Foster novel that was like 
Was it between A New Hope and Empire? <laughs> Splinter of the Mind's Eye. Oh my god, I think I, I need to read it just for the comedy value. I have read choice excerpts from Splinter of the Mind's Eye. Um, the, I think the main thrust of the plot in that book is actually really boring. Oh, okay. um, but the Luke and Leia scenes are so hilarious. Like, there's like there's literally long passages describing like Luke staring at her lips and like thinking about what it would be like to kiss her. <laughs> oh my god, so funny. <laughs> So much secondhand embarrassment. It's it's really funny. I I love Alan D- Dean Foster though. He's my main man. <laughs> like, yeah, he has lots of excellent prose in the Force Awakens novelization. So. Yeah, he does. I'm glad they brought... not not excellent as in well written. Understand? I just find it. Really funny. The, yeah, the way he describes certain characters is just really funny. Yeah, no, he's a, a beautiful man with a special <laughs> talent. Um, <laughs> I kind of hope he writes the one for episode 8. Sorry, I'm getting really distracted again. I keep calling it episode 8 instead of The Last Jedi. I can't get used to it. I'm so trained to say episode 8, I just can't get used to calling it anything else. Um, (laughs) Yeah, to move on. Um, In in A New Hope, Luke obviously hooks up with Obi-Wan. Oh, that sounds so wrong. Uh, (laughs) Luke joins forces with (laughs) Obi-Wan. And they obviously go off and they start trying to get the droids to Alderaan. And yeah, shit gets real, <laughs> to put it mildly. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, what did you think of Luke's training under Obi-Wan, such as it was? I found it extremely perfunctory. Like, to the right. extent that when like, Luke calls himself like a Jedi Knight, like, I think in Return of the Jedi at the start when he goes and sees Jabba. I'm kind of like, no, you're not. What training have you had? Like, other than like jumping around with Yoda on your back for two days. <laughs> I suppose it's like, what? He's the last one, as we say. Like, he'll have some tickets at that point. Yeah. <laughs> a New Hope really does gloss over an awful lot. And that's fine. Like, it's not the point of the film. But I do think it's funny that Ray gets called a Mary Sue all the time. And that does not seem to be applied to Luke at all. Mm. Uh, yeah. Like, yeah. Luke is like the ultimate Gary Stew, which is fine. Yeah, no, but... I love Luke. Like Luke's adorable, but like he's perfect, and like he's pretty much always succeeds. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't have a problem with that at all. Like as I said, like it's not supposed to be realistic, so that's fine. Like he has this very brief training with Obi Wan, a little <laughs> bit more with Yoda and Empire, but that's not really the focus of the story it's about his choices as a response to that mm. um but i just think there's it's kind of funny maybe people have um somehow they're, they're making it too realistic with the sequel trilogy like how did she know that how does she know this language well that's mm. like you're not going to get the explanations for all of these things because that's not the point yeah you know? so. and i think with luke people carry all this like ancillary knowledge with them like they might have like memories of like the old EU books and like all this other stuff where it does go into great depth about what Luke did as a Jedi master and all the skills he learned and how he like made his lightsaber and so on and so forth. So they're carrying all that awareness with him. So as far as they're concerned, there aren't these gaps in his characterization. And then when they see Ray, because there isn't like all the extra padding and like surrounding noise that you have with Luke because he's been around for forty years, they like jump on everything. It's like, oh, why isn't this explained? Why isn't this explained? And it's like, well, it's not explained because the story's only just started. Be patient. Right, I suppose. And with Anakin, it was oh, he was the chosen one, so that was the ultimate. You know that that's why he can do everything. Yeah, uh, and he 
that was also a case of us having seen him as a grown man up till the point when he dies before yeah. flashing back to see him as a little boy. So you can kind of buy him being like this like gifted child because you know that he's going to grow up to become like Dark Lord of the Sith. Um, whereas people don't know where Rey came from or what she's going to do going forward. So mm. I think they feel more like they're floundering a bit more with her. Yeah. I mean, I don't think it's a problem that Luke's training seems so brief because I, it's almost like the point that um, he's given so little, but somehow he overcomes. Yeah, no, definitely. So, so at the end in the trench run, it's meant to be like a mystical moment when he turns off like the guiding computer and he just trusts the force. Mm-hmm. It's not really through his conscious will that he's able to do that. It's kind of because the force like takes him there and right. helps him achieve that, like, almost despite himself. So yeah, the like the whole point is not that he's like super trained. The point is that the force is there and it's powerful and it can help you if you allow it to help you. Right. It's that idea of good triumphing over evil because good is worthy. Mm. Like that that person is innately like I guess it's similar again to Ray catching the saber, right? That yeah. it goes to her because she is deserving. Yes. You don't need to have this like super logical explanation for why that happens. Yeah. It's more like emotional and mystical reasoning than like practical or logical reasoning, like which I think is kind of why I get so confused when people are so pedantic about the little like mechanics of Star Wars sometimes. Mm. So I am kind of like, is this fantasy and the Force is basically magic, guys? <laughs> you need to be more like easygoing with this stuff. Yeah, I mean it, that might just be part of people's enjoyment in fandom. Like, mm. oh, how how would this work? Blah blah. But um. That's just not my focus. So I think that's fine to an extent. I, I only think it becomes a problem if you f- focus on that to the extent where you can't enjoy the movie because you're only thinking about the minutiae on that level. I, I suppose. That's when it becomes a problem. But yeah, like you say, everyone enjoys these things in different ways. Yeah. Um, like, do you think that Luke seems a bit clueless, like in A New Hope? It seems like everyone knows more about everything than Luke does. Which, again, I think is the entire point. He grew up on this backwater planet, and he's accompanied by this like, ancient wizard, a world-weary smuggler, and like a very sophisticated princess. So, um, yeah, he's kind I do of think, like the Yeah, he does appear a bit clueless, but again, it's kind of an essential part of the hero's journey. Mm. Like, from looking at his journey anyway, like it makes sense that he'd be clueless at the beginning. And then you see that contrast um, at the beginning of Return of the Jedi. Mm. Um, and I, coming back to that that belief I have that Finn is supposed to mirror Luke much more than Rey does. I don't want to call Finn clueless. I'm not interested in like being mean to him as a character or anything. <laughs> yeah. But he does kind of have this naivety. And when he says things to Han, like, you know, we'll trust the force and we'll, that's that's how we'll solve the problem. It is kind of this throwback almost to Luke just figuring things out because of the Force. Yeah. That you don't have to have, you don't have to go in and have a plan every time. Somehow it just works out because that's what happens with the hero. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, but th- this idea that he's the everyman that is surrounded by people who are able to guide him and help him grow by being almost insulting to him. Like Leia is really quite mean to him and Han. <laughs> It's yeah. it's funny, but it's also supposed to contrast, right? That he has a lot of growing up to do and to understand how everything works. Mm. 
yeah, no, absolutely. And I think it's also like a necessary mechanic of the story because of the type of story that's being told. Mm. Because obviously this is like set in space. <laughs> so like you need to have someone who's a bit clueless so that the other characters can fill them in because then exactly. Luke is also acting as an audience surrogate. Right. So that then the audience members can be like, oh, Alderaan is the blah planet and the princess is important because of blah. <laughs> so Luke is a good conduit for all those explanations. Right. And I think Finn fits that in The Force Awakens. So. Yeah. Definitely. Like he's... Like comes from a very particular background, but he's still quite naive, and he needs things to be explained to him. Mm-hmm. Um, right? Have we said everything we want to say about Luke and a New Hope? I think so. Cool. Anything else you need to add? <sighs> I don't think so. I think I've covered <laughs> everything that's on my mind. Anyway. Um, right then, to move on to Empire Strikes Back. Um, this is one that's proper fresh in my mind. It's the film I watched in its entirety today. Um, and yeah, like it's really interesting because watching it again, I'm always amazed by like, how little I remember all the details of the plot progression in mm. Empire in particular. It's an amazing film, it's very memorable, but like it's easy to forget about all the stuff Luke does on Hoff at the beginning of the film. Yeah, like, that it's so interesting how he's like completely embedded in the resistance but also carries the foreside of the story. Yeah, I think you mean rebellion. Like... <laughs> Oh, sorry. Yes, I do. <laughs> it's so easy to get them mixed up. Say salsa. Yeah. <laughs> potato, potato. <laughs> yes. Um, sorry, please go on. Yeah, I, I, I like the the half elements, um, but it is funny to me that he is like just able to command that side of things and like have those victories mm-hmm. and also carry on the amazing story with him and Vader. Yeah. Like it's. Yeah, I don't think we're going to see that to the same extent in the sequel trilogy. Mm. Um, but I guess we have two protagonists instead of one, so it makes sense. Yeah. No, absolutely. Um, yeah, like it's interesting. It's like he's introduced as like Commander Luke Skywalker, I think, and he's like meant to be leading them or something. Yeah. I guess is- time has passed between that and A New Hope, right? How many years do you know? I think it's three years, which is the largest gap in the original trilogy. It's much less time between Empire and Return of the Jedi. But mm-hmm. that strikes me as really weird because especially watching them again, like Luke in Empire feels quite similar to Luke in A New Hope, despite the meteoric rise up the ranks. <laughs> um, whereas Luke in Return of the Jedi, he feels almost like a different person from the Luke mm-hmm. of Empire. Um, so yeah, I'd almost expect it to be a very round. Yeah, I haven't I'm not familiar with all the content in between the, the films, mm. uh, like comics and that, so I I don't know how he journeys from A to B in between. Mm. Um, but yeah, it is this marked leap, right? And I guess that's intentional, right? Yeah. That he's just completely ingrained in that culture now, to contrast with how he was at the beginning of A New Hope. Yeah. So. No, definitely. Um, yeah, and again, like at the start of Empire, like he still just seems like quite a straightforward good boy. <laughs> he doesn't seem to have done much in terms of his Jedi training. Like the main things he's using the lightsaber for, are, like cutting things open, or like um, yeah, it just just seems quite menial. Um, yes, yeah, but actually, it's quite interesting that it's three years, and then that's when Obi Wan says, "Go to Dagobah and train with Yoda." It's like, where have you been? <laughs> he could have been trained by now. Yeah, he he seems extremely inattentive, um, to put it mildly. <laughs> um, yeah, because it seems like what Luke has been getting up to, again, like, neither of us are 
particularly hot on the comics, so we're not sure what happens in those. But the impression given by Empire is just that most of Luke's activities have concerned the Rebellion, mm. rather than like learning about the Force and learning how to be a Jedi. Um, it's se- the impression given is that the first real training Luke has is with Yoda, because like, I'm sorry to diss Obi-Wan, but I, I really don't think you can count what happens in <laughs> A New Hope as a training regimen. It's more like he gets a few words of advice and he has like a blindfolded lesson with like a ball that shoots him (laughs) and that's kind of as far as it goes Um, yeah and in a new hope vader isn't really marked as his designated antagonist Mm. that only really comes into play in empire and obviously that's because lucas decided that he was going to be his father yes but i'm not it's interesting to think about where they would have taken it had he not been related to him yeah would he have just tried to sway him because he was strong with the force would that have been enough I guess it would have been like the um, I think the opening crawl to Empire it says that like Darth Vader's been fixated with finding like the young pilot to like sh- like defeat destroyed the Death Star. Mm-hmm. So I think just the fact that Luke is a single individual was able to do that that in itself was enough to pique Vader's interest. Like yeah. he didn't know the family relationship then. The impression given is that Vader himself only finds out through via the Emperor. Although then again, I think among the comics, they kind of play around with that and have him find out another way. Yeah, um, I yeah, I haven't I haven't read them like I said, but I think he does find out earlier. Like maybe because of the saber somehow, like they have another run in right. in between. Yeah, um, it's interesting that uh, the cave scene, like Luke is seeing himself as Vader before yes. he knows that they're related. So. There's still this aspect of Vader being the shadow, even if he doesn't know that he's literally his father yet. Mm. So it's like Luke has this potential inside him because he has the force. He could go to the dark side. Yeah. So he is fighting this internal battle, mm. just just like we know that Vader is. Yeah. No, he's terrified, like of the prospect of turning to the dark side, uh, and that was something I was trying to play really pay really close attention to when I was watching the films again was like the advice Luke was actually being given by Yoda um, and it's really interesting like it is like um, fear like anger these are paths to the dark side like obviously we know that's the normal Jedi line those are like the archetypal things that Jedi say that are bad and that you should avoid but it did remind me that if Luke really did take this like advice on board then like, how does that inform what he's like as a teacher? Mm. And does that make him the best teacher? But um, yeah, we'll probably get onto that more when we discuss what became of Luke after Return of the Jedi. Um, yeah, what, what do you make of all the Dagobah scenes, like Luke with Yoda? Do you think the character gets more interesting at that stage when we start yeah. to see him being tested more? Yeah, I think so. Um, I really like his interactions with Yoda. I'm... I'm a fan of Yoda in terms of a character, um, mm-hmm. but he is so deeply flawed that, um, like, I guess that's the point, right? That you see him in the prequels and like he had this arrogance and blindness to what was going on. Yeah. But yeah, obviously by the original trilogy, he's still very much teaching Luke these classic ways of the Jedi mm. that you shouldn't have emotion. You should let your friends go off and deal with things themselves. You shouldn't go off and save them. Mm. Um, so he is still kind of like acting as a foil to Luke, like to mm. highlight the the contrast between how the hero behaves to 
the mentor who doesn't always have the best understanding. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that's the part where Luke gets really interesting. Yeah. No, like it's interesting and you learn what really matters to him as well. Um, because we've obviously always known he's close to his friends. He really cares about Han and Leia. They're like his best friends. Um, and maybe he wanted Leia to be something more before he left. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, let's not go there. Um, but yeah, those are the people he cares about and he cares enough about them that like they're more important than his own training. So I think I, the impression I get from that is he doesn't really care about his own glory so much as like, helping his friends. And while it's not like a big shocker because he's our hero, so of course he's going to do good things and like make what we would perceive as the right choices, like that is useful because it tells us about the kind of person he is. Yeah, he seems to have boundless compassion and that does kind of foreshadow what's going to happen with him and Vader, right? Yeah. That once he finds out who he is and starts to believe he has goodness because mm. there's no way he believes that in a new hope or for the first part of empire yes um yeah it humanizes him in his eyes and makes him think you know i'm not going to fight you that there is goodness in you and you can be saved yeah no i think for luke it's always about the people yeah so the people are what matter more than the doctrine so like Yoda just saying, no, 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 it's really, really bad. I promise you, it's really bad if you go away and you don't complete your training. Don't do it. Like that is just way less important than the prospect of people he cares about suffering, like which is quite admirable. Like even if, if it might be a bit headstrong and maybe not the best choice because yeah. it caused Luke to get his hand cut off and he didn't really achieve anything apart from learning that Vader was his dad, which would have presumably come out in some other way. That might have not involved him losing an appendage, but <laughs> yeah, this is probably heresy to say as a Star Wars fan, um, and people probably will disagree. But the the perception I get from like who, who who the Jedi are supposed to be and what they stand for, at least in the original trilogy, was that it was set up to directly contradict Luke's self, like his choices, right? Mm -hmm. So I know yeah. in the prequels we go back into like Jedi culture and everything. But I don't think that's quite the point of the story. I think it's supposed to say there's this age-old religion that teaches, yes, you can have compassion, but don't get too attached. And Luke's journey is to say that it's possible to be attached and still triumph. Mm. And that actually that is the key to overcoming the dark side, because he does with Luke, uh, with Vader. Yeah. So I know people love the Jedi and everything, but coming back to this idea of Luke being the last one, I don't think that would be such a terrible thing necessarily. Mm. Um. Yeah, I think like the idea of with how Yoda teaches him and everything, like it just seems unnatural to suppress that human emotion. Like that's and then in, in the prequels you see that as a direct component in how Anakin falls. You mm. know? So. Yeah. No, I think the Jedi they certainly have like a sell by date. <laughs> <laughs> and they're kind of expired by the time of the original trilogy. Yeah. So it's going to be very interesting to see how they approach that with the sequel trilogy. Yeah. Whether Luke would even want Ray to become a Jedi. Mm. Or whether his definition of the term has changed. Yeah. I'm so excited to see that stuff. It's going to be super interesting. Um, yeah. What do you think about the I am your father moment? The, oh, my God. The most famous moment in cinema. Right. What can you even say about that that hasn't been said already? Like, it's just so iconic. Yeah. Uh, it's Yeah, it's brilliant. I, I do think it's pretty funny, actually, if you think about it, like, Vader cuts off his hand and then reveals him to be his father and, like, join me! It's like, um, 
maybe he shouldn't have cut his hand off. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't like frame the offer in an especially appealing way. Yeah. It's <laughs> like, join me and you'll lose limbs. <laughs> oh, Andy. <laughs> oh, you! You're such a caution, you are. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, no, watching it again, the main thing that struck me was the way I love Mark Hamill's acting in that moment. Because oh, yeah. I, I think Mark Hamill in the original trilogy, he he gets a bit of um, he gets teased sometimes because like, gotta go to Tashi Station to get those power converters. <laughs> but I think he actually does a really like good job with a character who, in many ways, he has written to be quite bland because he is just meant to be an archetype. And I think Mark Hamill does as much as anyone could humanely do to make that character a real person, like with like feelings and emotions. And like I love it when he's going, no, no, that's yeah. not true. That's impossible. Like you can almost like see the snot coming down his nose. Like it, he just looks all, he looks so intensely distraught that there's something really visceral and real about that for me. It's not just yeah. like movie cinema distraught his actual pain and oh god i can't i can't deal deal with this yeah it's a true moment of horror right that he he's Mm. built up this idea of who his father was in his mind yeah and it's like the exact opposite of yeah and it and it like it or not it says something about who he is as a person then it has implications for luke's past and where he might be going himself yeah um so yeah, it's just I don't even know what to say. <laughs> yeah. No, it's a really interesting moment. And again on rewatch, something that's easy to forget is like the way when Luke's lying in in bed on the Falcon when they're escaping and like Vader's reaching out to him through the force and like Luke he like tries to get up and he's like, Father mm. like and he says it in this like very like hopeful way, like as if he right. actually wants to connect with his father. And I find find that really interesting because obviously the previous time we'd seen them together, he was like, nope, 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 nope. But after that, they immediately want to show you that like Luke is already identifying with this man as a parental figure. He's not in denial about it anymore. Yeah, it's super interesting that he calls him father like that so quickly. But again, yeah. we, you know, we talk about Star Wars. Things do move really quickly and sometimes the characters don't act in the most realistic way. Mm. But it's supposed to give you this insight into who Luke is that he just has this warmth and compassion yeah and wants to understand people and and yeah. I think in like, that case it's just like instinctual he knows that it's the truth deep down yeah like he might but, not want it to be the truth but he knows it is yeah weren't there lots of fan theories after Empire came out that Vader was lying yes there was and one of the funniest things about rewatching Return of the Jedi was um the way like Luke explicitly asks Yoda, like, is it true? Is Vader my father? And like now to us, this seems ridiculous. It's like, you already found out at the end of Empire. It's like one of the most famous scenes in movie history. But like you say, I bet they had to have that because for many people that wasn't something to be taken for granted. Yes, it could have been a ruse because obviously Vader was the villain. So he could have just been playing a cruel trick. I, I don't think it was con- presented in that way at all in Empire. But I can understand why there was a debate. It reminds me a bit of like the situation now of The Force Awakens, the way people have all these questions. 
I think in 30 years, people be looking back at some of the questions people are asking now and they'll be going like, is that really a question? Was that really a question then? How weird. (laughs) Um, But yeah, it's the kind of situation where with the benefit of hindsight, everything becomes clear. Yeah, again, cements Luke as kind of the self-insert or avatar for the audience member that, you know, he's like, no, that's not possible. Like, um, (laughs) the audience is kind of doing that too, right? It's it's such a horrifying idea. You don't want to think it's true. Um, So, yeah, like, it's kind of the audience not being able to face the shadow of Vader too, or like whatever the shadow is in their own life. Like, you're kind of living it vicariously through these characters. Yeah. And I can definitely see that in a lot of the discourse that goes on about the Force Awakens characters too. Yeah. No, it's super interesting to see like these parallels, like intentional and unintentional. Like sit like just like as a concept, Star Wars has taken off to such a massive degree, it's become such an entrenched part of pop culture that we just don't like have the context for like what it would have been like to see it all fresh anymore. And we can't see it in that way anymore and that's why how people are reacting to force awakens is like the closest we can get to knowing how people reacted to like empire when that film came out because it is fresh and it's something we don't have like decades of experience with like as a thing that exists in cinema yeah i always feel like we should have had a guest on for this someone who saw it in the cinema at the time yeah because our frame of reference is completely different i should have asked my dad but bless him like uh it's kind of like bleeding blood from a stone sometimes (laughs) (laughs) it's like come on i know you have opinions on things i know you want to talk about it really (laughs) but yeah i have spoken to other fans online who you know that was the way that they found out about it too and they say it was the most shocking thing Mm. it would have been really cool to experience that in real time yeah and have to wait years to find out what happens next. <laughs> oh god, I bet that was unbearable. Especially <laughs> with no internet. It would have just been people literally writing letters into fan signs. <laughs> like, oh. <laughs> Appalling. Um, right, then we move on to Return of the Jedi. And obviously in that film, Luke is very, very different. Like He has a new saber, he has a new look, he has a new attitude. Um, like, what do you think about like how Luke has changed by the start of Return of the Jedi because he suddenly seems very like collected and like somber. He seems like more of a um like self-created person at that stage. He's like mm. labelled himself Luke Skywalker, Jedi Knight TM. <laughs> <laughs> um like and that is very much the person he knows he wants to be and will be. Like and he's so shown to be very assured in that throughout the whole film, pretty much. Um and yeah, like I just find that so interesting because he goes from this period of like questioning himself deeply and being very unsure about what his purpose is and even having his whole world turned upside down when he learns about Vader to suddenly being like very collected and like complete as a person almost. Um, so yeah, what what did you make of that transition? Yeah, I like the mystery that that generates because you can kind of go back and fill in the blanks in your own head canon. Mm. So how he gets from that point yes. to being this kind of self-assured, very confident, mysterious entity at the beginning of Jedi. Mm. Um, and I like that they do hint at these darker elements of him because there's a kind of a bait and switch, right? That you think he's possibly fallen to the dark side with yeah. force choking and that kind of thing. But um, 
yeah i i do like that about the original trilogy i know it probably wouldn't fly with the sequel trilogy that to have all these things that are left unexplained um but i like that it, it is helped hold in very broad strokes yeah i think it's just the right amount of mystery and unanswered questions because yeah. if and you... there were to be too many it would be frustrating but it's nice to have a certain level of intrigue yeah you still get certain elements of that um earlier luke poking through as well like telling han i grew up here you know (laughs) yeah he does know that that's where he met you i don't know if that i don't know if that's intentional or not but it just makes me laugh every time (laughs) (laughs) like i think that's very much for like the benefit of the children in the audience hey kids we're coming back to a place we've been before (laughs) It just makes me laugh because I, I do think of Luke as a bit of a goofball. Like, I love him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which I, I think that's kind of why I find it difficult to accept him sometimes when he first goes into, like, Jabba, like a total boss, like in that black um, swish suit and stuff. It's like, you've been a bit of a poser, really, aren't you, Luke? <laughs> we know you're still, like, a bit of a dweeby nerd in there. <laughs> Yeah, that's the thing. Like, you got to fake it to make it. He's still trying to save his friends, so he's just trying to appear very badass in front of the gangster. So. Yeah, exactly. He couldn't really go in like his a new hope era Luke and like expect to get anywhere. Yeah, like he'd be laughed out of the room. <laughs> yeah, but it's it's still Luke under there. So yeah, no, absolutely. Um, yeah, like and like you say, they really do play with that whole. Oh, is he on the dark side? idea but i don't think like they ever seriously go into that territory he's still pretty much pure good across the whole film yeah he's pretty explicit when he's talking to the emperor right that you know i'll never join you i will never join the dark side that's sort of the point of his character yeah um i know there's all this speculation going on as to what's going to happen with ray um but with luke it's very much and in the original trilogy as a whole the dark and the light are perceived as opposites and Mm. and as the hero, that's never going to happen to him. Yes. So. Yeah. No, that's a very good um, like way of putting it. Like he's unyielding, like I suppose, in his goodness. And I think that's again very much like about this whole fairy tale vibe. It's meant to be reassuring. Like I know the real world is complex and there's all these shades, nuances, but here in this fairy tale, in this mythological landscape there isn't like that uncertainty luke skywalker is good and you don't need to worry about that changing anytime soon yeah for sure and i think that's important like to have i also think it's important to acknowledge nuance in the gray areas which i hope we're going to see more of in the sequel trilogy but i think for what it is the original trilogy did that well and it made it very powerful yeah Um, because vader needs to see that in luke to want to save him and change right yeah that unwavering goodness and to realize that that goodness came from him that he is his son yes so that that light will still be inside him too yeah do you think he also sees like some padme in luke i like to think that because i love padme and yeah i'm generally salty about the way she's kind of glossed over aside from the prequels and even in the prequels themselves to an extent yeah so i would love it if there was more of you know more explicit mentions of her. We get the really, really tiny, somewhat contradictory description of her in Return of the Jedi from Leia. Yeah. But, um, yeah. I've made my feelings on the 
the fridging of female characters and mothers in Star Wars pretty clear before. Yeah, it's a bit cringe. Like like you say, yeah. it's something I like to have as my headcanon that like Vader saw Padme in Luke because like Padme was always like very kind and compassionate. And like I definitely think of the two children. I think Luke is more like Padme, whereas Leia is mm. more like Anakin. Oh yeah. Um and yeah, like th- that appeals to me. But you're right, I think in the context of Return of the Jedi, especially when that film was made, it was very much meant to be about like Vader seeing his own residual goodness embodied by his child. Mm-hmm. And that is then like, no, I'm better than this. I'm gonna be what my live up to the example that my son is setting here, and I'm going to redeem myself and save the galaxy. Yeah, I've seen a lot of fan art and fiction that does kind of explore the idea of once Vader realizes he has a son, he starts reminiscing about Padme mm-hmm. and sees sees her in Luke, but. Um, that I think that's more of a case of fans going back and hoping to fill in the blanks because that is somewhat lacking. Yeah. But there's nothing wrong with that. I think that's great that people are doing that. Yeah. I think that's a space that is really important to fill. So I think it's good that fans are doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, I just hope Lucasfilm picks up on that as well and does more of it too. Yeah. I mean, Natalie Portman has said in interviews recently that she would consider returning to Star Wars. So it should I, be so badass. Oh I don't know God. if she would. It's probably just wishful thinking seeing that, but... Yeah, well, it's probably because Natalie Portman knows, based on how her character ends up in like, Revenge of the Sith, that there's going to be almost no way for that character to be reincorporated into right. a film. So it's like a safe thing to say. <laughs> um, it's like, oh, yeah, to come back to the ass, they will never ask. <laughs> right, because it's not even like she can be a Force ghost, right? So Yeah, the only thing they could do is like have her as a hologram or something, which would be massively redundant at this stage. That would be like resurrecting like C.O. Bibble <laughs> like say oh we've got a found an urgent missive from C.O. Bibble from 50 years ago like, don't get <laughs> me wrong I think Padme is way more important than C.O. Bibble um, but they're both just kind of not really relevant to the story at hand anymore right yeah. it's, a, it's a shame it but... is a shame yeah such is life um, right yeah and after the opening scene on Tatooine with Jabba and stuff, all that jolly good fun times, um, <laughs> Luke goes off to Dagobah and he finds that Yoda is dying. And Luke seems perturbed by this because obviously he had gone back to finish his training and it's a bit like, oh, <laughs> I guess that can't happen really then, can it? Mm. So yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a poignant moment. Um, I do find what Yoda says about... Um, how did your trade will be complete as long as you kill Vader? <laughs> so that's basically what he says. And it's like, it really isn't complete though, is it, Yoda? Think back to how the Jedi trained when like the Jedi were an actual thing, is in like the old Republic kind of era thing. It's like no. Yeah. I think and that's probably intentional when you have the prequels come after that you really see that contrast right that mm. Luke really was not given the best preparation and yet triumphed yeah um and there's this notion that oh he's too old well Anakin was considered too old what is Luke gonna think of Rey <laughs> you know yeah um and she's she's gonna have all this anger inside her and everything but yeah I don't know if they're gonna hold on to that again that might just be an old prequel idea that will be thrown out but mm. 
Yeah. I think all the stuff, like, about Luke's training with Yoda and the conversations he has with, like, the Force ghosts of Yoda and Obi-Wan, I think that is all going to come into play in one way or another in Episode Eight, because that is essentially the foundations for what Luke understands the Jedi to be. So, like, all those, like, sound bites from Yoda about fear, anger, the path to like the dark side blah 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 and like the dark side is easier more seductive so on and so forth all this stuff that is going to be the stuff he's going to be passing on to his own students like, i hope if they do that them. there's a way to make it fresh because mm. he can't exactly just be repeating yoda's platitudes <laughs> you know yeah like and i don't think that's going to be the case because um what the expanded universe is doing with Luke between Return of the Jedi and Force Awakens is they had him go off and find all this old Jedi lore mm. and expand his knowledge of the Force if, if in that way because it's not like there's anyone left to teach him. They're all dead. All right. um, so yeah, like it definitely won't be the same but I still think those would kind of be the fundamentals for him. They would be the building blo- blocks that he fought, built everything else on. Um. Yeah. Maybe, and that's maybe that's why it was inevitable that that new Jedi order fell because mm. they were repeating the same mistakes. I and mean, that's that's a common theme that relates to real life pretty well, right? That yeah, history is doomed to repeat itself. Yeah, and that's what I suspect. And I also think that the very clear lack of preparation that Luke has for all of this, I also think that's going to be a factor in like why he fails because mm-hmm. like he wasn't properly trained himself how can he be expected to properly train others and keep them from the dark side when his own training was so pitifully lacking yeah <laughs> like you say it was very much like a oh we'll just have to make do with this there's not really much choice <laughs> yeah all this stuff gets kind of convoluted with the idea of somehow luke personally failing as if he's just not good enough but mm. that's not what people are saying when they comment on this stuff right it's that yeah. the resources aren't there that he's not given the time to train like the jedi and the prequels were yeah um and yet he does have so many successes he has them where it counts i know in you know we get to the force awakens and, and people might consider the fact that the jedi would have fell or ben solo fell as a failure on luke's part but i don't see it that way Mm. like that's just you kind of do have to reset things to some extent so that the conflict is there yes but yeah luke's luke's a hero so things are going to work out for him in the end yeah no absolutely um and with going back to return the jedi um like i think the best sequence in that whole film Maybe my favourite sequence in the whole of Star Wars, but don't hold a gun to my head on that because my opinion tends to change, <laughs> is just that whole bit with um, Luke, Vader and the Emperor. Same. Like, so, so good. And I, I, I was just watching that and it's so intensely emotional. And like, it goes through the beats very, very quickly. Like, there's not much time to like pause and breathe and take things in. But just like the way everything combines, like those three characters together, the things they're saying to each other, the emotion like that Luke is experiencing and that Vader is experiencing. And it's like one of the most amazing moments for me is when like Luke is lying on the floor and he's been like tortured, like having the force lightning thrust into him. And like the Emperor's there and he's having an amazing time. And you can <laughs> tell he's enjoying this so so much. It's like <laughs> Um, yeah, and he's having a whale of a time, and it's great. Um, and you just see these like head movements from Vader, and 
even though it's a completely emotionless, featureless mask, you know, like how you know he's tormented inside. Mm-hmm. Like, and I think that it's amazing that they can convey that, like because of everything they've built up with that character just through like head movements. It's so cool. <laughs> yeah, there's some. Depending on how I look at it, and depending on my mood, I find that sometimes a bit humorous that you can't see anything and it's just like moving from side to side. <laughs> but you can't you imprint your own sense of his, his what his conflict must be. Yeah, right. You're imagining his face inside there. Yeah. Um, it's like the cave. Like it is what you bring to it. <laughs> right. Yeah, and I think that's the, a big piece of the power of Star Wars. Right, that there's mm. so much left for you to fill in the gaps on your own terms that's why it resonates with people because there's all this potential there for you to fill in however you find meaning yeah so yeah that scene is so powerful yeah no definitely and like again in the context of what happens later with like ben solo turn into the dark side i found it interesting the way that like when luke he comes close to the dark side himself is when Vader taunts Luke by saying that he's going to turn Leia to the dark side. Mm. I found that really interesting. It shows that Luke's greatest fear isn't himself turning to the dark side. It's his loved ones being turned to the dark side. That's what really terrifies him and gets to him. And yeah, that just made me think of how it must have felt when his own nephew like, succumbed to that. Right. Like that he's saying, no, I'm not going to fight. And then that's the thing that breaks that for him. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Again, it brings it back to this idea of Luke. Like, that's what's important to him, his relationships with other people. Mm. So, yeah. Absolutely. It's super interesting. Um, oh, yeah. And no, I just realized we didn't really talk about it. Um, what What do you make about the um, reveal with Le- Leia being Luke's sister? Just quickly while we're here. Uh, I just think all of that is a mess, to be honest. <laughs> it is a total mess. <laughs> I mean, once Lucas made that decision, there was no way they were going to pull it off well. Like, mm. I honestly don't... I don't understand why he did that. I mean, I get it from like, a convenience perspective that she's right there and they don't have time to introduce this new female character, but... <sighs> it's, it's awful. Like, it's like, just let it go. It, like Elsa in Frozen. Let it go, let it go. <laughs> Yeah, um, it's just a part of Star Wars now, I guess. Yeah, no, it's obviously accepted now. No one's denying that Luke and Leia are siblings. It's they've gone way, way, way too far with that to go back. <laughs> it's like no returns. <laughs> um, but yeah, but there's, it's really there's no handled. Yeah, there's no way that they could pull off that kind of retcon now. No. I mean, Star Wars fans are sticklers for what's canon and what's not anyway, but. Um, something that huge that changes the dynamics between the characters. I mean, there have been some speculation that like Ray's parentage could have changed as they were filming The Force Awakens and all of this stuff. I just don't believe that Disney would be that casual about those things. Mm. I think they might have to have some room in terms of how things are executed in the films, but they will know where they're going. Mm. Um, whereas Lucas, you know, he thought that he could on- possibly only have one film here. So... Those yeah. things weren't of immediate concern. Whereas exactly. this is all mapped out. This trilogy's going to be a trilogy. So Yeah. No, definitely. It's a very different kettle of fish. Um, yeah. Like, I think that's the situation where the actors did the absolute best that they could with what they were given. But, like, it's just so counter-naturalistic, that whole scenario. 
it's very like soap opera really it's like the kind of twist you'd find in dallas or something <laughs> yeah the the part that i find funny is actually is han thinking that leia's in love with him <laughs> which, like i won't stand in the way which in a way i can respect because it shows they're not just completely forgetting that like Luke and Leia kissed and like there was that kind of tension there in the previous films. So I yeah. think in a way it would have been worse if they just acted like nothing could ever happen there. Which they kind of do in Luke and Leia's own responses to each other because there's no <laughs> it's not like, oh my god, Luke, we kissed. Yeah. <laughs> which is probably what would have happened if it were being more realistic. Yeah. So I, I suppose that does bring in that element of slight realism there that it's just like, oh, well, obviously you two have a history here. I won't stand in the way. I He's got the wrong end of the stick at that point and Leia has to explain it to him. <laughs> but it's still like, it's a bit cringy. It is super cringy. <laughs> I, I loved it when um my friend who was watching Stars for the first time and she didn't even know that Luke and Leia were siblings when she watched it so she came to it completely fresh Mm. and she would rant on and on about how mean Leia was being by leading Luke and Han on and like not choosing one of them um (laughs) and yeah and I was just sat there and I was like no I can't say anything I can't I can't oh so you were watching them with her no I wasn't watching them with her but um she'd like report back to me like on her like opinions after she'd seen a film. So what did she say after Jedi? <laughs> Embarrassed smile. <laughs> Very funny. Yeah. Um Right. Um yeah, so Return to Jedi, film ends, everyone's happy, dancing around the campfire, lots of Ewoks, Force Ghost, smile on, credits. It's goes so fast all of that it does so it's like fast. woohoo we've we've triumphed over the empire let's have a party oh the end yeah although i must say it did make me more angry with kylo this was like kylo you ruined this look how happy everyone is kylo <laughs> you yeah. stopped all of it i Curse think that's you. for a lot of star wars fans you know yeah no i think that's um the main bug there for people it kind of something did have to come in and ruin that happy ending because it's just too much of a fairy tale. But mm. I completely get why people are pissed at the character. Yeah, that's the whole reason why one of my friends she point blank refuses to watch the sequel trilogy is because she w- cannot accept that they took that happy ending away from the original trilogy characters. I think that makes sense. Not everyone's going to be on board for the idea of new Star Wars films. Yeah, no, it I, is a I complete journey. Like mm. Luke's Luke's journey in in those three films is complete. Like, I'm, I would keep saying, like, I'm really interested to see how they have Luke in The Last Jedi because I don't think everyone's going to be happy with it. Mm, you same. know, that, um, this is a poor example because it's, well, I was reading Harry Potter and the Cursed Child over the summer mm-hmm. and that kind of gave me an inkling of what it might feel for people who um, grew up with the original trilogy and are seeing the sequel trilogy now with the younger generation and Kylo in particular kind of messing everything up for his parents and for Luke Mm. Um, because Harry has obviously had children at that point in that in that play and Mm. they're messing everything up in terms of Voldemort and like it's I've seen people dismiss the the Disney the new films as fan fiction and they kind of are in that it's not George Lucas anymore yeah um, but it, it just won't be considered the same for some fans. And that is their right to feel that way. You know? Yeah. 
No, definitely. I, I think I have a lot of empathy for that. It just frustrates me because it means I can't talk to some of my friends about Star Wars. <laughs> yeah. And it, it just speaks to how important these stories are for people. Yeah. You know? Not everyone is going to be okay with that being messed with. Yes. Um, just as some people didn't like the expanded universe. So. Exactly. And some people are distraught that that now isn't canon. So everyone's going to have their own part of it that's most meaningful to them. Yeah. No, it's so personal. Um, right, yeah, so then we move on to Luke between films, I guess, and they have been very, like, unclear about what exactly Luke got up to, presumably because we're going to find out a lot more about what Luke got up to in The Last Jedi, um, because we'll finally hear him talk for a start, (laughs) (laughs) which will help a lot, um, and yeah, so we have only a very limited idea but we immediately get the sense from the expanded universe materials that Luke, between Return of the Jedi and The Force Awakens, he went off on this quest to find like Jedi lore and to like reestablish like a new Jedi order. Um, we have been told to call that a temple rather than an academy by Pablo Hidalgo on Twitter, I believe, which is interesting. Like it suggests to me like that Luke was maybe focusing more on like the mystical like um and abstract elements of the force rather than try trying to keep it too regimented, mm. which is what an academy might suggest um and it also kind of indicates to me it's probably quite a small operation because th- the way the Jedi were in the prequel trilogy that was a massive massive concern, and there's no way Luke was gonna like recruit thousands of Jedi <laughs> in like the space of time that he had um so yeah those things make sense to me like what's your impression like of luke's activities between films like however foggy because obviously we're only going to be able to speak in very broad terms here because so much is mysterious yeah i mean based on what we know from bloodline uh he is kind of referred to as somewhat eccentric and kind of detached from the mainstream society Mm. so it's kind of like this old school idea that contrasts with the prequel notion of the Jedi, that they are kind of detached and um, kind of mysterious and ascetic and not interested in the trappings of material wealth. And yeah, so I don't think it's just this idea of it being a mystery for the audience's sake. I think he's supposed to be a mystery in the, in the actual universe setting. Yes. So yeah, that's very true. Yeah. Yeah, like like even Force Awakens, you have Ray saying Luke Skywalker. I thought he was a myth. Like so, that shows like he has become like as much a fable, a story that's told to people, like as he like has like a real man, which yeah. is interesting because when you first meet Luke, he does seem like so much of an everyman. So mm-hmm. I think that's an interesting transition for him to like go from like the regular boy next door with like the sandy hair, like whining and complaining about power converters and other nonsense. And then he goes on and he becomes this legendary mystical figure who's like extremely mysterious and very, very powerful and almost like on another plane of existence. Um, Yeah. And I I think that's a really interesting path for that character. Yeah. I don't think the Luke that we see in the sequel trilogy is going to be recognizable compared to a new hopes luke Mm. maybe elements of jedi Um, yes but there is this whole point that the 
the hero's journey takes him from complete beginner novice every man to a god almost mm. yeah so. i think that's very much like his arc he becomes progressively like less the person he was in a new hope like while still retaining the cool parts like he's still compassionate and he's still kind and he still cares about the ones he loves but like he he loses those childish aspects of himself which is what you'd expect because styles is very much a coming of age story and because luke's the hero he's the one who comes of age in a big way right i'm very interested to see how they kind of draw parallels with him and obi-wan mm. um because that's kind of what star wars does right that through these comparisons you see the contrast between the characters yeah so people will be expecting him to play the mentor role so is he going to be more of an Obi-Wan or is he going to be more like a an eccentric Yoda on Dagobah? Mm. Is he going to be something entirely new? It's... I'd hope for the latter. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Like yeah. I, don't, I don't think he's going to be Yoda. Like I don't, <laughs> think they, I don't think they're going to use him for comic relief. I hope not. That'd so. be hilarious. Like, sorry, I don't want that to happen, really. But like, just because people would be so pissed because everyone's expecting Luke to be this like grand regal figure who's like a complete badass with a, a lightsaber and stuff. And if you were just there, like giggling like a loon and like going around playing practical jokes, people <laughs> people would be so angry. <laughs> yeah. I think there might be this element of eccentricity, mm. um, but it will. It won't be like funny. It would play into this idea of him being this ethereal, mysterious being, right? Yeah. Um, so in terms of the backstory to Force Awakens, one of the most important things that we know about what Luke got up to is that he trained his nephew, Ben Solo, and that things went very, very badly indeed. Mildly. <laughs> mm. <laughs> um, with Ben Solo turning on Luke and destroying like everything he'd built with the new Jedi. And then in the aftermath of that event, Luke goes off in search of the first Jedi Temple, which is presumably Act Two, which is where Ray finds him at the end of The Force Awakens. Um so yeah, what do you think about that? Like what's do you have any like suspicions about what kind of teacher might have Luke might have been to Ben or what that relationship might have been like? Oh, you know, when Han says in The Force Awakens, Luke couldn't reach him, how could I? Mm. It's very interesting to think about the idea that Ben might have already been tempted by the dark by the time he even is starting to be taught by Luke. Yeah. So then how does that fit in with what Luke's teaching him? Because if Luke is teaching him from this very Yoda old school aspect, mm. there must have just been so much conflict there, right? Yeah. Um, and if someone is falling to the dark side... Obviously, we know that that teaching was not effective. Um, yeah. So how is that going to be updated somehow to reflect the reality that people will be tempted? Um, yeah. No, see, how, how that... I... Sorry. Oh, how might that factor into what he teaches Ray? No. Yeah. No, it's very interesting questions that are raised by that. So I always got the impression that Ben was sent to Luke as kind of like a last resort like this is jedi reform school <laughs> you are going to go here to be a good boy and learn how not to go to the dark side okay <laughs> this because, is the purpose yeah based on what leia's saying there that snoke was always watching mm. so he was already being tempted by this dark figure 
Yeah. Um, it's pretty sinister. And if, yeah, how would Luke combat that? Mm. Would, he, would he even have the means? Yeah. Because we're, we're talking about him not, you know, barely being fully trained himself. Mm. He's he's trying to cobble things together from this law that he's been collecting, but it obviously wasn't enough. Yeah. And, like, everything that's been said about, like, the early years of Kylo and the expanded material and in interviews, it suggests that, like, Ben Solo, as he was then known, like, was very, like, troubled and he, like, had lots of these negative emotions. Like, he, he felt he wasn't loved enough. Like, all these kinds of things. And, like, when you consider that alongside the things that Luke was told, like, about anger and fear leading to the dark side... Well, then, did Luke maybe tell Ben to, like, repress those things to, like, not deal with them in a good way? And did that just make Ben resent his uncle and, like, ultimately have the perverse effect of just leading him, like, more towards the dark side than away from it? And that's obviously heavy extrapolation, but I think that's, like, a possibility. Like, although Luke could have been very well-intentioned, he could have given advice that was just not at all helpful in practical terms because like you can't deny the light dark elements and maybe that was what Luke wanted him to do or asked him to do right I do think it's supposed to have this real life parallel with people acknowledging their emotions to then be able to deal with them right if you repress something it's not going away it will Mm. come back probably in an even worse way yes Um, so yeah and I can't really figure out how I feel about that because, as we said, Luke really does have an awful lot of compassion himself and emotions and loyalty to his friends and all things that were supposedly not approved by of by the Jedi. Yes. So I know Anakin says, like, oh, compassion is an essential to a Jedi's life, but is it really? <laughs> a certain kind of compassion, like a generic compassion, but compassion for individuals, I'm... I'm not so sure. Yeah. A very like bland, sexless kind of compassion. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, I love all living things. <laughs> right. Like a respect for life as an abstract concept that's all around you. But in terms of saving your friends and prioritizing people in your life over another, I'm not sure. Yeah. That definitely seems to be less integral to the Jedi, to put it mildly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. No, this is really interesting. Like, I really hope we get to see scenes with Luke and Kylo Ren in episode eight where we actually learn more about their relationship and how they feel about each other. Because I think there's going to be a very loaded dynamic there. Yeah. I mean, throughout The Force Awakens, it's kind of this idea that Kylo wants to find Luke because he's the last Jedi and kill him because it's his mission to rid the universe of Jedi, right? Mm. Yeah. Um, but how is that going to change now? Because that's it can't be something that just happens. Like, it can't be that straightforward. So yeah. you need to find out why and and what's going to happen to put a stop to that. Because, as I've said, I just don't believe that Luke's going to die in episode eight. So no. Yeah. Um, right, then to cap the discussion off, I suppose we could go into spoilers, but I think we're already running on quite long and it's probably best to leave the capstone as the end of Force Awakens. 
Um, at the end of that film, we obviously follow Rey as she climbs the steps on Act Two, the Jedi steps, if you will. <laughs> and then she finds Luke standing very dramatically on the edge of the cliff. We don't know what he's doing there. Um, presumably just in quiet contemplation, although various humorous sites have suggested less illustrious things he might be doing there. Um, <laughs> it's really funny. <laughs> um yeah, and then she goes up and he turns around and they stare at each other dramatically as Ray tries to offer him the lightsaber, which he doesn't take. The end. Yeah, so what do you make about Luke's very fleeting appearance in Force Awakens, Kirsty? I love the way he takes his hood off. Very dramatic. <laughs> like his father before him. Yes. And now his nephew. Like, I'd love it if um, there's like an Obi-Wan like cloak drop. Alla Revenge of the Sith because that's like the most badass like removal of clothing ever seen. Yeah. <laughs> but that would be actually be really inappropriate if he did that in front of Ray. I, I don't want to see him do that in front of Ray. <laughs> It'd be too sexy, you know? And I don't need sexy old man Luke. <laughs> no. I don't ship that. <laughs> nah. Sorry, this is not a Rook podcast. <laughs> More power to you if you do ship it. But just not for me and evidently not for Kirsty either. <laughs> I've seen people try to discuss that seriously because <laughs> more Skywalkers have to come from somewhere. But... <laughs> no, thanks. That sounds like something you'd find like in the Old Testament. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, we, we have a very old man, but he needs to reproduce. <laughs> yeah, sorry, that, that took a dark turn. Um yeah, yeah, he doesn't look very happy to see her, really, does he? <laughs> no, he doesn't. No, he. I'd say he looks like, troubled by her, almost. Like he, he lo- looks even more concerned when he actually sees the lightsaber. But like, I don't think Ray herself is like a presence that makes him go yippee. Yeah, <laughs> like the idea that someone found him and he's not really ready to join the fight again. He probably doesn't mm. ever want to. Um, yeah, and that is possible. It's very likely that he's on Arc 2 to do something really important with the Force and because it's the first Jedi Temple yeah. that you know someone else coming along is kind of getting in his way Yeah. so it could be an inconvenience for him yep. no but whatever it is we'll definitely see it play out in their dynamics So an inconvenient Padawan <laughs> <laughs> that would have been great as the um, title to episode definitely <laughs> <laughs> that'd be a good joke title um, but Alas, I don't think we're going to get a tradition of jokey Star Wars titles. Um, yeah, Disney I'd... are going to play it too safe for that. I wonder if Ray would even be called a Padawan, because yeah, yeah, I just I don't think I that system I... exists anymore. Yeah, I just can't see her fitting into that role so easily. Like she's, <laughs> I she's, don't see Ray very... Padawan braid. <laughs> she's not used to blindly following or obeying anyone, is she? She's no, she's strong, um strong-headed like she's got her own ideas about things and yeah yeah no No, definitely um do you think luke recognizes ray knows who she is uh no i don't think they've met before Mm. i could be wrong no i have no idea really but i just it just doesn't seem that way for me i know you've got more of a sense of um him linking up with what happened to her parents and that Mm. Um, so do you think that they've met before? 50-50. I think it's very possible. Um, but I think at the very least, he knows who she is through the Force. 
Yeah, I think that's possible. And yeah. wasn't there something in the script that said he knows where she, who she is and why she's here? Yeah. No, exactly. Yeah. So I think at the very least he knows what her purpose is on the island. Like, and like my suspicion is just that he might sense that there's something dark about like her history, like whether or not he had anything to do with it. Like he knows that she's dangerous somehow. Yeah. Um, I would guess that he has to know that she was at least involved with what happened to Han, right? Because he's got to have sensed that. Yeah. Um, Because they're not going to go into all that fire exposition. Like They're not going to show her saying, your nephew killed his father, you know? So yeah. there's going to be an element of him just having sensed all of this stuff. Yeah. To show his power. Yeah. So it's narratively redundant to mm. like have Ray fill Luke in on everything that happened in Force Awakens. <laughs> right. But because we're coming back to it in the very next second, that's mm. what Ryan said, there's going to have to be this element of them just glossing over things and Luke will just magically know it. So. Yeah. Um, I think they'll probably do it in the framework of like Ray pleading for Luke to like come with her and like help. And he'll be like, no, I know what happened. Like, I'm better off here. Mm. <laughs> I'll see way better written and <laughs> much more substance and direction to it than that. Like, especially given Ryan's words about avoiding like modern idioms and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> nope, I'm good. <laughs> Get off my lawn. <laughs> you crazy kids. <laughs> um, right, yeah. So th- there's more we could talk about. So we have had like a few... <sighs> like whispers of spoilers and stuff. I think we covered all those in our spoiler discussion pretty much. Um, and I think we need to move swiftly on. So you happy to leave the Luke discussion here, Kirsty? Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, I think again, in the interest of time, I will skip the, it came from Reddit section. Sorry. <laughs> um, and move on to questions. Um I will only read out a few choice ones again because time is running short and I need to run. Um, But we will get to more questions next week, hopefully. I'll aim for a less meaty spotlight discussion so that there'll be more time. (laughs) Um, Right, so we have an email from Ingrid. Hey, I love your podcast. It's so amusing and wonderful how much time you dedicate to breaking down rumours, possible spoilers. I have a slight question. How likely do you find it that episode 8 will delve more into grey or in-between morality? One of my main frustrations of Star Wars is that it obsesses over a very fairy tale like rendition of morality, in which there is always light and dark, good and evil. I realise in some of the extended trilogy materials there are grey Jedi, but to my knowledge such characters have never been featured in the films prominently. What do you think is the likelihood of Rey or even Kylo becoming such a character? Regards and can't wait for your next episode, Ingrid. So, Kirsty, what do you think of that? Um, I think it's very likely. Mm-hmm. I think that's kind of going to be a major theme of the sequel trilogy. Yeah. Um, I don't think they're going to be called Grey Jedi because Pablo Hidalgo has been quite assertive on Twitter about saying that that's, that's not a term that's familiar with him. I think he's kind of being a bit cheeky there because he knows what a Grey Jedi is. Um, <laughs> yes. But they're just not going to apply to the new canon. Mm. So he's talked about people like Ahsoka, who leaves the Jedi Order and doesn't go by any other name. Like, she's just Ahsoka. Yeah. She's, she's following her own path, which is fair enough. Um, and I think that might be what happens with Rey and Kylo. Yeah. So I think Kylo and Snow can't Sith for a reason. I feel like that's going to kind of hint at where the Jedi might be going. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. No, that's definitely how I feel. I'd say it's 
it's close to guaranteed as it can be guaranteed that we will be getting an exploration of grey morality and like the blurriness of these things like going forward um, especially because of some of the behind the scenes things we've heard so there was that Larry King interview with Adam where Adam said that we're going to see Kylo Ren's humanity mm-hmm. in episode 8 so that alone indicates that we're going to really understand this person and get inside his head more um, which is exciting and there's also the kind of books that Ryan Johnson has been citing as influences um, because he was talking about using Carl Jung and Robert Bly uh, reading like text by them like um, a little book of the human shadow is that right Kirsty? Yeah. yeah yeah um and basically those are writings by people with with backgrounds in psychology and they're very much like about the different facets of the self and how you have to like reconcile the light and dark elements of your being i'm not being particularly articulate here because this isn't my area of specialty um but that that's approximately right isn't it Kirsty? Yeah, and we've discussed this in previous episodes, if yeah. people are interested. Um, and I think that's actually a common theme of Ryan Johnson's own stories. Mm. You, you've watched all of his films, right? Yes. Yeah, so I feel like that's the kind of character he's interested in telling a story about. Yeah. Um, he doesn't seem too concerned with people who are just clearly good or clearly bad. Yeah. Um, and I think it reflects kind of an evolution in modern storytelling generally, that people want to see a bit more going on. And I think we saw that with Rogue One as well. Mm. So. You have characters who are clearly on the good side, but still make sacrifices and kind of go through a, an atonement of their own. Um, yeah, I just think that's much more of an interesting path to take. Yeah, no, definitely. So, yeah, our opinion, Ingrid, is that the odds of um, grey morality are very good. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that's something to look forward to. Hopefully, unless we're completely wrong, which is always possible. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so coming back to that idea Adam Driver said that they were going to explore Kylo's humanity. Mm-hmm. He's also said that out of all of the characters he's ever played, um, Kylo is the one he most personally identifies with. Mm. Which yeah. is very interesting because obviously he's the villain in The Force Awakens, but it it very much hints that there's going to be more that we see that kind of challenges the audience's initial perception of him. Yeah, no, which is a very exciting prospect. Um, right, and then the final question is from Milan, and it goes, Greetings from Serbia. That's so awesome that we have <laughs> listeners in Serbia. Hi. Hi. Um, right, I very much enjoy listening to your podcast. You guys are doing an amazing job. Keep up the good work. Thank you. I'm a huge Ben Solo Kylo Ren fan, and I firmly believe that the redemption arc is coming. My question what do you think about Knights of Ren and Kylo Ren being one of the last Jedi in the Episode Eight title? Knights of Ren being students that Luke had trained, and Ben Solo corrupted and turned to the dark side, taking the mantle of the Master of the Knights of Ren, and then thus earning the name Jedi Killer. Also, your opinion on Ryan being a sneaky so-and-so. <laughs> <laughs> We're a family-friendly podcast, so I have to use substitutes sometimes. I mean that as a compliment. <laughs> using Jedi in the title as a plural and using the colours red on the black, the colours of the First Order in the title of Episode 8. I think um, Milan's asking what we think about that. Um, yeah, and then hugs and kisses. Oh, thank you. Thanks. Um, yeah, so what do you think, Kirsty? Do you think there's like much potential for the title to be referring to Kylo and the Knights of Ren? Um, I guess there's potential. 
but there's mm. no way of knowing. So I've yeah. seen these theories before that the Knights of Ren are the Jedi that Luke was training. And this idea that Kylo destroyed it all, but they use the word destroyed instead of killed them all. Mm. Um, I don't know what to think about it. Like it's, it's an interesting idea, but there's just nothing to go on. It's just a hunch. Yeah. So people subscribe to that theory. That's cool. Um, mm. I don't subscribe to theories that the, that there's just so little to go on because I don't want to dis- be disappointed if I get to attach to something. Yeah. Um, but I, I think there's a chance of it being true. Mm. Be interesting for, for sure. Yeah. No, I definitely like the idea that the Knights of Ren, their fellow students, like my headcanon, again, I'm not married to this because like Kirsty says, it's dangerous to get too attached to theories with little evidence because they're probably going to be wrong. <laughs> um, but yeah, I like the idea that like there's this ideological split between Luke and Ben in terms of what they thought the Force should or could be, and that Ben essentially convinced some of his fellow students to join him and to fight for his ideology of like the potential of the Force and what they should do with this power. Um, and then they rebelled against Luke and the students who remained loyal to him, mm. and that was how everything came to be destroyed. Um, the only thing is, I'm not sure if the Knights of Ren are going to be Force-sensitive. Because mm. haven't they been shown of all these different weapons? Wouldn't they have lightsabers if they were Jedi? That's a very good point. <laughs> no, this is why I don't become too attached to my theories. I mean, that might be why Kylo's the master, because he's Force-sensitive mm. and Snoke considers him the jewel in his crown, you know? Yeah. But again, I could be wrong. Like, it could have been a red herring to have them all carry those weapons, and then actually they're, they're Force-users. Mm. They whip out their sabers from <laughs> under these their costumes. Yeah, um, I, I think it's probably more likely that they're they're more similar to like Law Santeca and the Guardians of the Wills, right? And that they're people who aren't really Force adepts themselves, but they're like cultists. They follow the person who is strong in the Force because they're like, oh my god, you're magical. <laughs> yeah, we've kind of got hints of that in the books as well, like with the acolytes of the Beyond in mm. the aftermath series. Yeah. Um. People, it comes back again to this idea of Ray saying, "Wow, I thought Luke Skywalker's a myth." That just in these thirty years, there have been kind of these cults almost that have built up this worshiping of the Force, and it's really mysterious, and mm. very few people maybe have it, or at least know to how to wield it. Yeah. Um, so that they they follow people like Kylo or Luke, um, who are very strong with it. Mm. So. It's interesting. In a way, the Jedi, they are the superheroes of this universe. Like, they are the gods among men. Mm. So, it's natural that there's going to be people, like, fangirling over them. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, that's bad. I I shouldn't describe the Knights of Ren as fangirls. Um, Why not? Because (laughs) I guess they'd be fanboys, wouldn't they? (laughs) I I would love it if there is a female Knight of Ren. I'd love it too. Yeah, I shouldn't make assumptions. I, I guess I'm just pessimistic about the odds of that. Oh, yeah, me too, but <laughs> who you knows? never know. <laughs> I have seen some people suggest Kylo could hook up with a Knight of Ren. <laughs> what on earth? <laughs> people have all kinds of strange ideas about these okay. things. I guess if you want to make one of the Knights of Ren a major character, but they're not going to have a Solo or a Skywalker have a love story that's not part of the main narrative. <laughs> Maybe Come that's on. Kelly Marie Tran. <laughs> I did I did see people wondering about her character at first. That was one of the theories. <laughs> oh my god, really? Did people think she was a Knight of Ren? Yes, at first. Wow. 
I mean, if you're not following the spoilers, people could be speculating still about all sorts of things that we know now aren't the case, or at least strongly suspect. Yes. It might be more fun in a way to not follow the spoilers, because then you can create all of these different theories, not worry about them. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's a whole world of possibility. Uh, Sorry, we went off on some strange tangents there. Um, Yeah. Oh, and there's this bit about the poster as well, right? Yeah, no, which we need to um, tackle. Um, yeah, I think we addressed this really when we were talking about the news like early on in the first segment. Um, it seems that the poster, so the decision to make the font red and stuff, it's probably more a marketing thing than Ryan himself saying, oh, make it red. It's all going to be about the dark side in the First Order. Well, I didn't connect it with the First Order before. I didn't. Mm. I forgot that red was one of their colours. Yes. No, it's true. It's a good connection to make. Uh, it is certainly possible. That is evocative of that for a reason. Because it might be the first order on the ascendancy, mm. because they're obviously in a pretty bad place after Starkiller Base was destroyed, but so was the Resistance because the Republic was destroyed. <laughs> so, right. Yeah, it's going to be a question of which of those parties ends up the top dog by the end of the Last Jedi, and it's certainly possible it could be the first order. So it might be alluding to that. Yeah, I was half expecting the title to refer to the political side of things more than the Force. Mm. Were you? Well, yeah, I, I think that's. I think it was kind of expected because um, I think everyone remembers the Empire Strikes Back, which right. obviously refers more to the political sphere. And yeah, the Last Jedi just as a title in terms of its structure, it goes against like the precedent we've had. Yeah. Um, for Star Wars titles, um, but so yeah, it was a mild surprise in that way, but kind of a welcome one because that always interests me more the four strand of the plot. Yeah, I hope we do still get more exploration of what the First Order are trying to do and stand for. Oh, I'm sure we will. Because, as we said before, there was such a little amount of that in The Force Awakens. It was barely barely there at all. So. Yeah. It's like, oh, they're evil, but... Yeah. As if, you, <laughs> as if you think about it, in The Empire Strikes Back, you don't really see that much about The Empire Striking Back. That's not the point of the film at all. Just like the point of Attack with the Clones isn't really about clones attacking. Right. Um, so, like, I think the title, like, in terms of its implications for the story, like, it kind of needs to be taken with a pinch of salt. Of course it's relevant, but it doesn't sum up at all what we'll be, what we'll be getting. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, lots of excitement. Um, thanks for the questions, and apologies if we didn't get to your question this time. Like I say, we're really overrunning because there's so much to say about Luke, it turns out. <laughs> Not surprising when you think there's like four films. Um, but yeah, we will definitely get to more questions next week. Um, if you have questions for us, please send them to scavengershorde at gmail.com. Um, right, do you think we're all done then, Kirsty? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Um, yeah, we'll just get to more of the questions next week, hopefully. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, right, so you can find me on Tumblr at Star Wars Nonsense or on WordPress at Journal of the Star Wars. What about you, Kirsty? I'm Bastila Bay on Tumblr and Scavengers Horde on Twitter. Cool. Right, we hope you have enjoyed listening and we look forward to coming back next week with your next dose of Star Wars news and discussion. Thank you. Thanks, bye!